Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. This guy who meets Jesus in this story, it is a pretty famous, pretty well-known story. And you might hear it and go, oh yeah, I know the story. Like, I, know, I know all about it. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to go on. Uh, but I wonder if there's some things that you may not have actually thought about uh, as we look at it. So this is where we're going to be. We're going to be in Mark 10 verse 17 to 32. We're going to read this through. We'll pray and we'll see what God might have for us today when we have a look at when the rich young man met Jesus. That's right today. This is Mark 10, uh, verse 17 to 32. As he was setting out on a journey, this is Jesus. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is his question. This is what he wants to know. Eternal life is the, is the thing. It's what I need to have. How do I get it? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. They were astonished. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished. At first they were astonished. Now they're even more astonished. Say to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And then a little later, it records this as I move, move along. It says, The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. This is what we're going to look at today. Let's pray and we'll get stuck in. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, even in this story, this rich young guy's encounter with Jesus, uh, that not only was that important for him, but uh, being that It's recorded here for us in your scriptures um, by spirit through Mark that it's important also for us. So uh, help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, uh, a soft and attentive spirit to your Holy Spirit speaking to us today. In Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. So uh, the disciples are three times astonished. Astonished, even more astonished, and then astonished again. Uh, maybe like a you know, kind of bell curve style. And all of the people that were following Jesus. So remember, when Jesus went somewhere, a crowd would follow him. Disciples are astonished. The crowd is afraid. What caused the disciples to be astonished? And what caused fear in the people who were listening to Jesus? We tend to have this picture of Jesus as a really mild, mannered, Galilean dude with like the long locks and the flowing robe and the sandals and a really like manicured beard holding a lamb, 
like patting him like this and, and just walking around saying pithy statements like love everybody and be excellent to one another and these kinds of things. This is not what happens here. And we know that Jesus isn't being unloving in this interaction because it specifically says here, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Verse 21, Jesus uh, looking at him, loved him. We know Jesus is loving this guy because it specifically says Jesus loved him and also we know that Jesus is love, meaning that he was always loving. Even in his wrath, he's loving. So, So what do we learn from this guy? Here's this guy. Man, everybody in this interaction... Uh, knew at least a little bit about this guy. They knew he was wealthy. They knew he was rich. Mark records he, has, he had many possessions as he's walking away. They knew he was a very morally rich guy as well. He had many uh, worldly possessions. He was very morally wealthy also. Pretty good guy. Back in these days, they would have equated good circumstances, wealth and material possessions with blessing from God. Thinking things like, he must have done something right. And when he gives his resume saying, yeah, I've done all of those things. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him saying, no, you haven't. Jesus already said, well, nobody's good except God. Wink, like I am God. No one's good. And yet his resume says, this is a good guy. This is a good bloke. This is a guy that you would invite to your barbecue. It's a guy that would be a, like a pillar of the church community, obeying all the commandments since his youth, a wealthy guy. Obviously, he's done something right. Uh, there's a time when Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man, and people ask him, Who, whose sin caused the blindness, his mother or his father? So they equated bad circumstances with sin and good circumstances with uh, moral living. And so the disciples, the crowd, is looking at this guy as not just a good guy, but a, an example, a really good guy. He's, he not, man, not only is he a good guy, not only has he like, obeyed all these commandments, not only is he like, materially wealthy, which means obviously in that culture that he's done, you know, had a, lived a pretty good life, but he also knows that he's lacking something. He's actually a humble guy as well. Don't you just love slash hate this guy? He's a humble guy. He runs after Jesus. He kneels down at Jesus' feet. He says, what do I need to do to to inherit eternal life? He's humble and he knows what is the most meaningful question to ask. This guy is like, this is a quality human being. And let's look what happens to him. He knows he lacks something. He comes and asks Jesus, man, Jesus, I've done this. I know I need to be here, and I'm right here. I'm so close I can taste it. What is the thing that's going to take me over the edge? Is there, are there some secret prayers that I need to know? Is there a secret society with like a really cool handshake that, and a secret door with a secret password that I need to know? Is there like a pilgrimage I need to do or, or go to? Is there some kind of good work that I'm not currently involved in? What is the key? What is the thing? What's going to like... Take me over the edge. And Jesus says, yes, you lack something. You lack something. I don't know about you, but as I read this passage, I put myself in that bloke's shoes and I think, man, that would have been a pretty epic moment for Jesus to say, you are lacking. It would have been one of those kind of like, 
butterflies in the stomach, but not in a good way. Like you weren't paying attention in class, and the teacher asks you, what do you think? And you're like, I have no idea what we're even talking about, let alone the answer to this question. Oh. And he's this guy. He knows he lacks something. Jesus tells me, yeah, you are lacking. He says, go and sell everything. Give it all to the poor. Come and follow me. This is Jesus' loving response to the guy. Loving him, he said, if you lack one thing, go and sell everything. What do you lack? He says, <laughs> he's acknowledging that the guy has everything. He's one of the commandments. He has material wealth. He's a really good guy. And Jesus says, what is the thing that you lack? The thing that you lack is that you think you have everything and yet you have nothing. Go give all the stuff that you think you need away and come back and follow me who you really need. And the guy walks away dismayed. He, the, he walks away um, grieved, it says, because he has many possessions. And all the disciples are looking at this guy going, man, this guy is, is here. He needs to get to here. Jesus, and we know we're down here. And Jesus says, he can't do this himself. So they're going, man, if he is here, the standard is up here somewhere, and we're down here, and he can't do it. Who can get eternal life? They're astonished at Jesus' answer. Astonished, more astonished, astonished again. Everyone else is afraid because they're looking at this guy going, man, if this guy can't do it, we have absolutely no hope of eternal life. We have, we have no hope. They might have been holding out hope, thinking Jesus is about to give this guy the answer. They all like whip out their little notebooks going, this is the thing. Like, if Jesus is telling this guy, who's already like a, at the pro level of life with God, and he's going to go to the next level, then this is the key, right? And Jesus tells him, no, you have nothing. And they're afraid. Because what the heck can they possibly do if this guy isn't good enough already? Here are some things to note. Jesus tells him, give up everything and follow me. Jesus, this passage is about money and it's not about money. It is about money and at the same time it's not about money. And we haven't really talked about money yet until just now. But you might have been hearing it in the passage and thinking, oh my goodness, Don wants me to sell all of my stuff and give it to the poor and go and follow Jesus. And part of that is true. I do want you to go and follow Jesus for, for your good. This passage is about money, and it's not about money. Uh, how is it about money? Well, let's first go, how is it not about money? The goal for Jesus here is not to separate the guy from his money. It's not to separate him from his money. The command is go and sell everything that you have. You have everything that you have, but Jesus' goal isn't to separate the guy and his money. It's to separate the guy and his love of his money. It's not to separate the guy from his money. It's to separate the guy from his love of his money. Jesus' goal is not to make a rich man poor. He wanted to make a lacking man complete. It's a different thing. It looks the same to the untrained eye, but it's a different thing. He doesn't want to make a rich guy poor. It's not his goal, as if poor was the goal. The goal is making a lacking man complete. He didn't want to take something away from this guy. You might be sitting there going, oh my goodness, what would I do without all my stuff? Jesus wants to take away my stuff? That's not his goal. His goal is not to take away stuff from you. His goal is to give you everything 
Jesus doesn't want to take stuff away from you. He wants to give you everything that you need, everything that's important, everything pertaining to eternal life. Jesus doesn't want to create financial insecurity, but for this guy to lose his fear of losing his finances and put his security in Jesus. It is about money, and it's not about money. Money was, for this guy, his thing that would keep him from following Jesus. That's his thing. This rich guy, he wants to keep all of his stuff and then add Jesus. He wants to have his whole life plotted out exactly as he's already doing it, as he saw fit, and then he wants to just bolt on, add Jesus to his life. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not an add-on. I want to be your life. You don't add me to your life. I am your life or nothing. The rich guy wants to earn his way. What's the thing? What's the one thing I need to do to accomplish, to attain, to, to get eternal life? And Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Again, it's, it is about money, and it's not about money. It's about money for this guy. Because for this guy, money held a position in his life, in his heart, in his mind, a position superior to Jesus. And Jesus says, if I'm not on the throne, if, I'm not, if I don't take the place of prominence and preeminence, and if I'm not the most weighty thing in your life, uh, then whatever it is that's unseating me needs to be extricated from your life. This is what he's saying. This is why for this guy, getting rid of his possessions, getting rid of that thing that sat at the center of his life, the center of his being, the thing that he couldn't do, couldn't live his own life without, uh, Jesus said, you need to excise that, cut it out, uh, and make room for me. And Jesus says this to you as well. Jesus says, it's, it's difficult for each person to enter into eternal life. And he says again, how hard is it for a wealthy person to attain eternal life? Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He might go, well, yeah, okay, <clears throat> I get that. For the rich and the wealthy, that's pretty hard. For me, like just, you know, the everyday Aussie battler, uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what wealth is. I don't know what riches are. I'll put it to you, put it to you, uh, that you do. Even, even just with a snapshot of the people alive today, you are incredibly rich. You're incredibly wealthy. What we like to do is we take us as normal. Like you, you're like, I'm, I am normal wealthy. I'm normal. I'm, I'm not wealthy. I'm not poor. I'm just, well, you might think you're poor. I'm just normal. And people who have a little bit more money than me, they might be wealthy. And people who have a lot more money than me, like you see on TV, they're rich. And people who have less money than me, they might be broke. People who have like significantly less money than me, they might be poor. And we like to put ourselves kind of just in the middle. We're not rich. We may not be poor, especially if you've traveled anywhere else in the world. You'll acknowledge that you're not poor. Today, like across the world today, you'll acknowledge that at least you're not poor, but you might not think of yourself as rich, but you are. Even just, even just with the people that are alive today, you're so significantly rich. You, I don't want to just talk about like the collective you, I mean you specifically sitting in your seat. If you take, if you plot out every person who has ever existed, even just from Jesus' time to now, and you plot yourself uh, on, on that 
like um, spectrum from poor to wealthy, you will be like on the wealthiest dot, on the wealthiest line. When Jesus is talking about wealthy people, he's talking about us. We don't like to see this in Scripture because we think, no, no, he's talking about like people with actual wealth, right? All the while not realizing, man, you have such significant wealth. Oh my goodness. We don't even realize what wealth and material possessions have done to our hearts. We don't realize how, uh, how, how entangled, how much in the grip and the tentacles of our stuff we are. We really don't. Not until you go and see people who are actually poor. We have a, a, like an, an accurate perspective of your stuff. And Jesus is saying, man, I need to be more important than your stuff. See, this guy was tethered to his stuff. It was like there was a big... I know this thing's heavy because I tried to lift it before. Oh, it's heavy. Oh, that was not the cool like boom sound I was expecting because this floor is so solid. Is this solid as well? Yes, never mind. Just imagine that was a huge boom that reverberated around this room. He's tethered to his stuff. It's like an anchor. He's anchored to this thing. He cannot get away from it. He's, he's tethered. There's, there's this giant invisible chain anchoring this guy to his material possessions and he cannot go anywhere outside of the length of the tether. And Jesus is saying, man, your tether comes to here. If you want to turn a life, you've got to follow me over here. And the guy can't do it because he is stuck to his possessions that are tethering him here. He can't do it. He's caught in the orbit of his gear. And because he has so much stuff, so much mass to his gear, he can't escape its orbit. You know how gravity works. The bigger the matter, the more dense of the thing, the greater the, gravi- the gravitational pull. And this guy is stuck to his stuff. Can't escape its orbit. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Because, of, now because Jesus knew our proclivity towards anchoring ourselves and our identity and our sense of worth and our comfort and, uh, and, and our lives to our stuff and to wealth, he talks about it all the stink of time. You see how much Jesus talks about money? It's way more than we talk about money, in the, in, well, at least in our church. It's way more. Because Jesus knows that we anchor us. Our hearts to our stuff. I think people feel uncomfortable talking about money, especially in church, because now churches generally have this uh, reputation that, and they want your money. You go to church and you hear like a you know ten minute offering talk every single week. They just want your cash. They want your stuff. They want to separate you from your stuff. That's not our goal. Goal is to separate you from your love of your stuff. That would mean for everybody, go and sell everything. It will mean for everybody a readjustment of your perspective of how wealthy you are, the place in your life that your stuff holds, and how much you need to jettison your love of your stuff and let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart. Jesus talks in another place about money. He warns another rich bloke, Luke 12. He says, uh, always says this from verse 13, someone from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, 
because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Be on guard against all greed. Man, we have let down our guard against greed. We actually started to believe the lie that uh, our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. Because a nice house gives us comfort and security. Not comfort and security in the Holy Spirit, comfort and security in our stuff. A better wage gives us a bigger buffer or a better lifestyle. More comfort, more stuff, more gear, more advancement, less Jesus. We need to be on guard against all greed. Because uh, you will receive, depending on your media consumption, thousands of messages a day that is the exact opposite of this. Let down your guard, you need more stuff. Let down your guard, you need a better lifestyle. Let down your guard, your goal is comfort. Let down your guard over and over and over and over and over and over again, depending on, again, your immediate consumption. It's the exact opposite, the exact antithesis to Jesus' command. It would be on guard. And then he told him a parable, verse 16. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store up all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Does that sound familiar? Because it's every single financial product superannuation um, advertisement that you've ever heard right there. Make good financial decisions. Store up for yourself wealth here on earth. Put it in big vats or storehouses so that you can take it easy. You can look at your, look at your stuff, look at your security, put all of your hope in that, put all of your value in that, and then eat and drink and enjoy yourself. That's literally the standard template for every uh, like bank advertisement, superannuation advertisement, anything. They hear over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then what does Jesus say? But God said to him, you fool this very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And when I say rich towards God, you may have heard this verse used again in some other church context as a plug for give the church money. That's not what the verse is saying. It's not just saying, man, you should give me money. The goal is not to separate you from your money. It's to separate you from your love of money. The love of money is a super destructive cancer that will eat you up from the inside out. It will tether you to your stuff and prevent you not just from living a life that's pleasing to God, but potentially prevent you from eternal life because you're tethered to your stuff. Like, you know, Gollum uh, falling down into the um, lava of Mount Doom, clutching the ring. Ah, I've got it! That's the picture. Again, it's not a money question, it's a worship question. It's a worship question. It's not about whether you think you have a lot of money or whether you think you have a little bit of money. It's a question about uh, who or what sits on the throne of your heart. What is it for you? Is it money? Is it riches? Is it wealth? Is it ease? Is it comfort? Is it a lifestyle? I'll put it to you for most Australians, uh, even if that's not your biggest idol or the biggest thing 
preventing you from following Jesus, preventing you from eternal life, uh, it's, it's one thing. It's one of the things for most Australians. Because we grew up, if you grew up here, you grew up with this just abject wealth. We don't, again, we, don't even, we have no perspective on how wealthy we are. Because we grew up with it, we think it's normal, we think that's standard, we think that's baseline, not realizing how ridiculously wealthy we are. And then if we were to like, dip our standard of living and to, to be more generous, or if we were to dip our standard of living to go and follow Jesus somewhere where we couldn't have the same standard of living or make as much money as we're making now, have the stuff that we have now, or live in the comfort and security that we have now, then we're making a big sacrifice The question is, do you hold your money in an open hand or a closed hand? Are you stingy with your money? Like trying to grasp and cling and hold on to your money? Or are you living life with an open hand with your stuff? You want to please Jesus. And, and money, again, is not your enemy. Money is just a tool. Chances are good you will know uh, rich people or more rich than you people, rich by your standard people uh, who are very righteous and generous with their money. And you may know people who are richer than you, who are very stingy with their money. You may know poor people, poorer than you, who are very generous with their stuff. And you may know poorer than you people who are very stingy and not very generous. It's not a factor of how much money you have. It's a factor of your love of your money. How do we know this? What, what do we see? How can we like, inspect our lives and have a look at this? Uh, it's when Jesus says, be hospitable. And he said, I would be hospitable. But money says I can't. Money says I can't. Because if I do that, then I can't buy this or can't buy that. You may agree that being generous is good, but your upcoming holiday says you can't. You can't be generous. Because the holiday or the jet ski. Uh, you might see a sister or a brother in need, but your lifestyle says, I just can't spare anything this week. How I maintain my standard of living, which is just normal. It's not extravagant, remember. I'm just in that normal band. Uh, you might be like uh, one uh, person I met last week. I uh, had lunch with, um, with this uh, homeless lady, and she said, thank you so much for buying me lunch because I spent all my money on a Jimmy Barnes ticket. And I was like, hang on a second. Can't be generous, can't, can't view money in an appropriate way as a good tool uh, because it's the thing that gets you the thing that you want. There are so many people who approach Jesus as the thing that will get them to what they really want, which is money or stuff. And when Jesus wants to unshackle you, untether you, uncouple you from your love of money, then you go, well, Jesus hates me because he doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to have my stuff. He doesn't want me to be comfortable. He doesn't want me to have it easy. So Jesus becomes your animal. Anything that would separate you from your money, that come between you and your lifestyle, becomes the enemy. Well, we as Christians, we don't have, actually, that's not an option for us. We can't serve both God and money. We can have one ruler, really. And what Jesus is saying to this man here, at his knees, whom he loves, 
He says, make it me. You know what you lack is my lordship of your life. And for all of us here who are shackled to our stuff, Jesus says, you lack one thing. It's my lordship over your life. If your lack, if the one thing you lack is also money, uh, again, I'm not going to suggest that you just give away all your money, or although I would suggest to you that you do whatever it takes to get rid of any and every idol in your life. Like Jesus says in another place, if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. If your eye calls you to sin, gouge it out. The reason that we look at this guy and go, wow, like Jesus has been pretty harsh, is because we don't take sin seriously. We don't take idolatry seriously, but Jesus does. Jesus does. Uh, I will suggest this. Do, take, do whatever it takes to cut off the idol for your life. And like Jesus says uh, in that parable about the man who stores up all of his wealth, I think that the antidote to the love of our money is generosity. And I'm in general, a generous lifestyle. This is not like a, a sermon that's really an offering talk. That's not what this is. My goal, again, is not to separate you from your money. It's to separate you from your love of money. And I think that starts with you being generous. Just as a, as a lifestyle, generous, a generous heart. In fact, Randy Alcorn, where is it? Randy Alcorn says <clears throat> that giving, being generous, breaks us out of orbit around our possessions. We escape their gravity, entering a new orbit around our treasures in heaven. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you cannot give cheerfully if money is your idol and you want to keep as much stuff and money as you can. You can't both love money and give cheerfully. So what do, what do I suggest? What is Renny Alcorn suggesting? What is Jesus suggesting is that you start your lack of your love for your money. He tells us that God to just get rid of all your money. If that's what you need to do, get rid of all your money, give it to the poor. Uh, Randy Elkin says, just start living a generous lifestyle. And we're going to demonstrate this actually now. So here's what we're going to do. I need two volunteers. Who looks like the most like Jesus here? I need some nominations. Where, where's everyone looking at? Everyone's looking over this direction. And, Sam, come on down, Sam. Give him a hand, everybody, to encourage him. I'm going to give that about a B-plus level of enthusiastic encouragement. Uh, okay, so Sam, Sam is going to represent our treasure in heaven. Sorry, <laughs> uh, And so what I'll get you to do is just stand like about two-thirds of the way down the... Yeah, okay. And now we need a rich young man. Who here is a rich young man? Come on down, rich young man, Liam. Here is our rich young man. And by the way, you already know, because we've already covered it, they, all of the young men here are rich young men. Uh, you didn't give Liam a hand, though, so we can encourage him. <clears throat> so we need some stuff. Uh, so I, we got a phone. Is this your stuff? Actually, let's use your phone. Your phone. Uh, what else is stuff? Um... It doesn't need to be anything in particular. I'm just going to steal some gear. Uh, water bottle. I don't know what this is, but it looks awesome. Um, it's a microphone box. Here is Liam's stuff that Liam loves. 
He loves his stuff. In fact, he's, he's tethered to his stuff. He is orbiting his stuff. So you're going to walk with me? Just leave it there. Just orbit. Keep orbiting and keep orbiting. <clears throat> so Liam's stuck in the orbit of his stuff. He, he is, keep going, he is tethered to his stuff. Uh, even if he wanted to, he couldn't escape the orbit of his stuff because it, it holds such great, gravita- keep going, man. Keep such great gravitational pull for him. He's actually stuck with his stuff. This guy who was at the knee of Jesus walked away grieved because he wanted to find out what is the meaning of life and how do I get eternal life, and he found out how to get it, but he was tethered to his stuff. It's not like he walked away disappointed that Jesus couldn't give him the answer. He walked away disheartened, grieving, because he had so much stuff. He was tethered to his stuff. And Rennie Alcon, and I'm echoing this, and I believe this is the antidote. How do we... Keep going. How do we escape the orbit of our stuff is to start living generous lives where we would give away or just maintain a general disposition of generosity. Look at him, he's still kind of stuck, but he's getting a little bit further away. Not too far away, not too far away. Of his stuff. And for the rich young man at least, keep going, one more. The goal is to get rid of all of his stuff. For you, it might be just that thing that holds you back from following Jesus. And when we're generous, you can now orbit your treasure in heaven. We can break out of the orbit of our stuff, of our money, of our lifestyle, the thing that tethers us, where Jesus says, come here, but we can't go out of that orbit, can't get out of that radius. When we live generous lives, we can break out of the orbit of our stuff and start orbiting our treasures in heaven. You guys can sit down. You did a great job. Please encourage them. <clears throat> uh, those, for those who, who have money as their God, they can't be generous. They certainly can't give generously because everything that they give will be just, they'll, they'll consider it as an attack, personal attack on the thing in which they find their identity, their security. Uh, and because we don't think of ourselves as rich, we don't generally have plans to be generous. We generally aren't giving intentionally because we don't think of ourselves as having more than we need. And yet we're so rich. Your neighbors need your generosity. They need your generosity with your money, with your stuff. They need generosity with your house. They need your generosity with your life. They do. Your neighbors need your generosity. Uh, your sponsor child needs generosity. People in global missions work need your generosity. People who you know are living amongst you need your generosity. Your family. This is whether you are the youngest person in your family or you're the matriarch or patriarch of your family. Your family needs an example in their family of someone who's not tethered to their stuff. They need to be able to see that someone can live 
a joyful life not tethered to their gear. If this rich young man had an example in his life of somebody who was wealthy but generous, I wonder if his response would have been to walk away dejected or if he might have seen, you know what? I have this example. Someone actually preaching the gospel with their life that God is, uh, the money is not their God, that the lifestyle is not their God, that the stuff is not their king, but that Jesus is their king, that Jesus is their Lord, that Jesus is their joy. Your family needs your generosity. Your church does need your generosity. Your brothers and sisters who are in need need your generosity. They do. In fact, uh, part of the reason that God established the church was so that we would bear one another's burdens. Some of them are financial burdens. It's actually why, it's part of the reason why we are in community. So that we might be generous with one another. The church needs a generosity. I mean, this is the giving part right here. I mean, I know we don't take up collections. We don't take up collections, but what we want to do is um, train people in uh, to being generous disciples so they would actually mirror Jesus uh, in every aspect, including his generosity. And Jesus emptied himself for us. How can we not be generous? God loves a joyful giver because God is a joyful giver. Church needs your generosity. This is not about like manipulate, manipulating people to extract money from you. And I know that some churches do that. Uh, that's not the goal. The goal is not to separate you from your money. The goal is to separate you from your love of your money. So that you'd see so many things you can invest into or just be gen- exercising generosity in uh, for the kingdom's sake. Psalm 34 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. You, who are his holy ones, fear Yahweh, for those who fear him lack nothing. Jesus tells this guy, you lack one thing. You fear not having money more than you fear God. Your money is your God, not me, is what Jesus is saying. You have your stuff as your Lord, and I need to be your Lord. And this is his challenge to us. Do you have anything in your life that you hold as more weighty than God? Are you tethered to anything in your anything in your life? A relationship. Where Jesus says, This is how I want you to live, and you say, Well, no, because the boy says no, or the girl says no. Or a job where Jesus says, this is how I want you to live. And you say, well, no, my job says no. And the job is my Lord. Or is it money where Jesus says, this is how I want you to live. And you say, well, no, my money says no. Is it being well thought of by others, by culture, by society? And Jesus says, this is how I want you to live. I want to be your Lord. And you say, but, but people say no. What is it? What is it? Those who fear God, those who have God as their Lord, lack nothing. When you try to find that security, when you try to find that identity, when you try to find that comfort in anything other than God, you lack one thing. Let's pray together. 
Father God, uh, we thank you for this interaction. Uh, We thank you that um, Jesus isn't and wasn't just that like super nice dude trying to be everybody's mate, going around telling people what they want to hear, uh, but that he is God the Son, that he is um, God who came among us, uh, risen and sitting on the throne right now, at the right hand, at your right hand. Uh, we thank you that uh, he reminds this young man and reminds us uh, that we need you desperately as our Lord. We repent, we are sorry for those times that we have tried to use you to get other gods. That we've come to you in order to find our security somewhere else or our identity somewhere else or our love from somewhere else. We repent of those things. Help us. Uh, Help us to be uh, on guard against those thousands of messages we hear uh, daily that we shouldn't look to you um, but to other things or or to stuff. Uh, Help us to be on guard against all greed, any love of money. Help us to use the money that we have, those things that you've given us, those relationships you've given us, um, the workplaces you've given us, the opportunities you've given us, not for, our, not for just our own good and not just for our own gain, certainly not for our greed, uh, but for your glory. We'd be gener- generous with all of our lives, like you are so generous with us. That we'd be generous in, in every way, in all these things, for the good of others, and that we'd find our joy in being generous. So like Paul encourages we would, we would indeed be joyful, generous givers whom you're pleased in. Uh, we need to uh, cut off everything that would keep us from you, every idol that would um, sway our affections. And so we need your help. And by your Holy Spirit, would you accomplish this in us so that we would truly lack nothing we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.